right? And eighth graders, you're the only one that really knew. Last week, my good friend John Walker came in, spoke for us. Uh, very thankful for him. I haven't actually been up here for a few weeks, so I missed you guys. And as some of you know, I was sick leading into Elevate, so I didn't get to be here on that Wednesday either. So I'm just glad to be back. I missed y'all. Uh, did a little thing, got married, you know, got a little ring. Hannah was a very beautiful bride, most beautiful bride. It was great. It was a beautiful day. Uh, and then and then we each proceeded to get sick on the honeymoon, and it was so romantic. Uh, nothing's more romantic than laying in bed with a sore throat while you're freshly in love. Anyway, you'll understand when you're older. Uh, that's, a, that's a joke, by the way, that's not pleasant at all. We're actually going to talk about that. I'm going to use that as an example of Job, but we're talking about Job. Uh, the part where we're at, can anyone tell me what were some of the great things Job had that he lost? Does anyone actually remember some of them? Yes. Give me, give me one. Yes, children. All his animals. His wife. Actually, his wife is still around. Uh, yeah, I know John said that last week. He misspoke. Uh, he meant all his kids were gone. His wife's still around. Um, she's interesting. Anyway, we won't talk much about her. Anything else? His house, his money. His house, his money. Yep. His three dollars. Yeah, that the very specific <laughs> number. Yeah, because I made my joke. I don't even know camels. Anyway, yes, his health. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, his health. He got the sores. Job lost everything. And then Job's three friends come along. Can anyone name Job's three friends? Because I have a hard time remembering them. Can you name all three? Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Yep. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. A few of you can. Uh, Zophar, Zophar, Zophar is who we're talking about today. Uh, We've heard from Eliphaz and Bildad on all of their logic and reasoning why Job, this super great and righteous guy, has lost everything everything. And spoiler, Zophar's uh, logic, his argument, is not that different. So if you've been paying attention for the past few weeks, which I hope you have, you're going to notice some similarity. In the similarity, you don't go, well, this is boring. It's a lot. But what I hope you do is you look at it and you start to understand more lessons, like John said last week, these guys, the way that we read them, when they appear in the Bible, I actually went to uh, the intention of when you see verses tonight, or when you see arguments, I actually put a little uh, quote line of who's saying it, because it's really important that when we read Zophar, we read Bildad, or we read Eliphaz's arguments, which are very using and very poetic, but when we read them, we should approach them differently than we read God's words, which are rock-solid truth. Zophar, this week, who we're looking at, represents a misunderstanding of God's truth. He's got part of the picture, but he's misunderstood. He's misinterpreted. He's twisting things. He doesn't have the whole picture, but he's going to speak as if he does. And it's important that when we correct lens to understand this guy's wrong, let's learn from him. Okay, so we're doing that for the third week in a row. Next week, don't worry, there's a good friend, but this is the third friend. He's a piece of work. He's not great. Uh, but each of these guys represent kind of wisdom that I think actually we relate to today. So, so let's talk about Zophar's argument to Job, right? Remember, Job's great. He has everything. He lost everything. Zophar is here to explain to Job. Job really loves the way that his friends are going because Zophar, again, is the third friend. 
right? He has heard two other guys' arguments already. Zophar's the third one to go. And Zophar's response to Job is, Job, quit talking, your arrogance is showing. The reason why you've lost everything, Job, is because you won't be quiet, you just keep babbling your mouth, and then you're arrogant. You're full of it. You're full of yourself. You There's a problem with what he's saying, but this is what Zophar's logic is. So we're in Job chapter 11, is where you can look. We're gonna, we're gonna look at a couple things in chapter 11, so you can hang out there. Job chapter 11, verses three and four. It's on the screen as well. Should your babbling put others to silence so that you can keep on ridiculing and no one humiliate you? Remember, Zophar is here to comfort Job. Should your keep on ridiculing and no one humiliate you? Very good comfort. You have said, my teaching is sound and I am pure in your sight. So Zophar is quoting Job at the end there. Job saying, my teaching is sound and I'm pure in your sight. There sounds like some logic here. If Job was babbling and putting other people, others to silence, that would mean Job is kind of interrupting them. He's cutting them off. He doesn't want to listen to them. He keeps rude. That also would be a sign of arrogance. And if he also, Job was going, look, I'm so perfect. And yet he was doing something so rude. And as we see from Zophar, some other things are going to come up that he was doing that were wrong, that Zophar says were wrong, excuse me. <laughs> then there's some logic here that because Job is arrogant, because Job will not be quiet and listen to wisdom, he is being punished for it. There's a logic to it, but it's flawed because and combined there's a core truth that we have to remember every single time we read one of these arguments. And it's all the way back in the first chapter. And this is not Zophar talking. This is not Job talking. This is God talking in the very first chapter. We're learning who Job is. God says this, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns Zophar's flawed argument is you're arrogant because you think your teaching is right. The problem with Zophar's argument is, according to God, Job is right. This isn't, God's not saying Job's perfect. We have to understand there's some nuances, some tricky things when we read the words. But he's saying Job is a good guy. God is setting that up. Job is a good guy. He is not a bad guy. Uh, he is a good guy. So Zophar's argument is that, no, you're actually not a good guy. Therefore, that's why this is happening. False. We're actually going to get to another part of Zophar's argument there that, that's incorrect. But Zophar, again, the piece of work of friend that he is, says, I'm going to comfort you by telling you this. You know what, Job? You actually deserve worse than what is happening to you. Job, take comfort. You deserve worse worse than this. Isn't that great? If you learn one thing tonight, go to your friends when they're suffering and tell them that and get slapped in the face because you're a horrible friend. No! Horrible, horrible logic from Zophar. And also, he basically said this exactly. We're still in chapter 11. Look at verse 6. Look down just a little bit. This is the second part of verse 6. Know then, right? This is part of his same argument about then that God has chosen to overlook some of your iniquity. Job 11.6. So far says, hey, buddy, you know what? 
You deserve worse. Remember what happened to him. His family died. He lost his house. He lost his money. He lost his animals. Job is covered in sores and is sick. And Zoph, Job, this isn't nearly as bad as it should be. God really should be doing a lot more to you than just this. You don't even need a huge like teaching point there. I think you can kind of hit home. When you are a friend and you are there to comfort your friend, never say that. Ever. That's horrible. You want to know the comparison to this? The Mariners have to make it in. We all know what happened last night. Let's, let's compare. Hold on. I'll keep it brief. We all generally know what's happened. But let's compare the highest high and the lowest low. At Elevate, wasn't that a blast watching the comeback? That actually was really fun. Whether you're a Mariners fan or not, if you were in there, you probably just, that is just exciting. That's really, really good. That's the highest high. As a Mariners fan, that's great. By the way, we've been really bad for 21 years. That actually is like the highest high of the last 21 years was that game. Where the opposite happened to us, where we were the team up big and we blew it because our coach decided to pitch the wrong pitcher, but whatever. But we totally blew it and we reached the lowest low. So frustrating, like a pit in your stomach. For me as a Mariners fan, I want so bad. I want to see my team win. I want to see them move on in the playoffs. They have that game in the bag, and they blow it, and I just feel awful. And you know what? I'm not going to say who likes sports. That one person in the office, you know what they said to me? They said, sports don't matter. Why do you care? As a friend, when baseball is not the same as Job losing his entire family and wealth and house. I don't want to compare the two. I don't want to, I don't want to equate these two. But as a friend, for me, for all of you, when that game, and your response to me was essentially, who cares? You are not being a very good friend in that moment to me, right? <laughs> Furthermore, imagine if what they said is, you know what, Austin? You should feel even worse about this because there are so many worse things that the Mariners could have done. You should feel so much worse. They didn't do that bad. Just feel better because you know what? It could have been so much worse for you. And again, Zophar's logic, let's go back to Job. Let's go back to the serious thing, not sports. Zophar's logic to Job is you deserve worse because you're so bad. Remember back, chapter one, no, he's not. Furthermore, you want vindication. Eventually, Job says this in chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. This is really short. Job says, now then, I have prepared my case. I know that I am right. Zophar, his friend, would probably... Job in his heart of hearts knows he has not sinned to cause this to happen. He knows he is not deserving of all of this suffering. Something else is happening. And in the end... Job has prepared his case, and we actually find out all the way, I believe it's in chapter 42, God actually judges the three friends, and they have to repent for what they've done. Job's case. Job's case is right. He knows he is right. So Zophar's argument, Job, it's wrong. It's rooted in a false truth, but there is a logic to it, right? Ultimately, if we look at us today, we are all sinners, Every single one of us have done wrong. It's a proven fact. Everyone has done wrong. 
And you can make the case that because you have done wrong, God is just and right to judge you, to bring punishment for what you have done. You could make that argument for any of us at any moment. You've done something wrong. This is happening because God is judging you. And there's an argument to be made there. But here's the problem. It's with this really dangerous assumption that you know what God's will is in that moment. And even if you're right, I am just not willing because of Job's story. Because these friends serve as this cautionary tale, and we're going to talk more about this after this last point, because Job serves as this cautionary tale, we need to be really, really careful about how we approach talking to our friends when they're suffering, when they're hurting, what we say to them, what we even believe about what's happening. Be careful, because even though you might have good logic, you might have walked through it step by step, you might still be wrong. Biggest assumption, the last one, the last big point we're going to talk about, the biggest assumption Zophar makes, and this is what roots all of what he is wrong about. John kind of talked about it last week, so I hope that, that you rem remember this. Job, the wicked always get what's coming to them, and you are the wicked, so this is what's coming to you. You can actually go ahead and, and turn there to look at this because this is pretty important. So chapter 20, verses 27 to 29, makes the case. And when he's talking here, when we read this, this is from the perspective of he's saying the wicked. So when he says like his or him, he's saying a wicked person, right? That, that's what Zophar is saying. This is Zophar's argument to Job. The wicked get what's coming to them. Chapter 20, verses 27 to 29, the heavens will expose his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. Remember the wicked person. Removed, flowing away on the day of God's anger. This is the wicked person's lot from God, the inheritance God ordained for him. It's poetic. It might be a little confusing. Here's what he's saying. The wicked person will not get to be wealthy. The wicked person will not to get to keep his success, all his stuff. God will judge him. God is going to remove that from him. And the key thing is it's going to happen sooner rather than later. It happens in this life. But it's just not true. It, it's wrong. Uh, have you guys, are you guys familiar with the phrase, correlation is not causation? Have you ever heard that? No. Correlation is not causation. We're going to have a very, very brief class, including a graph. Don't worry. It's not complicated. Let's put that graph up. Correlation is not caught up there. This is ice cream sales versus shark attacks. Ice cream sales are in blue, so you can see the blue line going up. Ice cream sales go up. Shark attacks go up. Right? I mean, if you don't want to get bit by a shark, just don't eat ice cream, and it seems like this will be less of a problem, Right? There is a, let's explain terms, the correlation. Two things are correlated to each other. It means they're, two, they're related. Correlation, ice cream sales go up, shark attacks go up. That is the correlation. Now, I'm, not, I'm no scientist. My degree is in political science, but that's not a real science. So it's a fake thing. I'm no scientist, but I don't think that ice cream sales actually determine whether or not sharks are going to attack you. 
I think I'm going to make a bold claim here that maybe these highest peaks where shark attacks happen line up magically with the months of June, July, and August. Do we have any idea of why sharks might be attacking more in June, July, and August? Because it's summer and people are in the water. I don't know that many people going swimming in December and January. However, here's the thing. If you look at this chart and you go, ice cream sales are up, shark attacks are up, they must be related. Right? Okay, this is a silly example, so it's actually really easy to tell that that is silly. But if you didn't think about it, it would kind of make sense. There's plenty of examples like this. If you ever get bored, just look it up. But here's the point. The wicked get what's coming to them, again, is rooted false truth. Job's response is, uh, no, bro, that's not how it works. Job's response is, about the wicked, they spend their days in prosperity and they go down to Sheol in peace. Sheol's where dead people go. It literally means like the earth. It means dirt. So he's saying like they go to their graves in peace. Job is saying to Zophar, which we can probably think about this in real life, the wicked people, the bad guy, actually they get to stay rich. They get to keep their success and they actually die with all of their riches. Everything that was wrong, they actually get to keep it all. Zophar is right about something. He's right. The wicked will get what's coming to them. But he believes that God acts in judgment in this life always, and God acts in judgment immediately. You do something wrong, God will immediately judge you. He will, therefore, every time something bad happens to you, it's because you did something wrong, and so God is judging you. That's the way the world has to work in Zophar's mind. And it's actually kind of a common idea. He's not the only one that thinks this way. That's actually pretty common, I think, for a lot of us, that in our gut, we kind of feel that way. You do good things, you get good things. You do bad things, you get bad things. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes you cheat on the test, you get caught, bad things come to you. That is true. You deserve it. But sometimes, sometimes bad things happen, and you didn't do anything to cause it. Sometimes even no one did anything to cause it. Sometimes bad things just happen. John was talking about this last week, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But here's the big thing, is that if your world consists of do good, get good, do bad, get bad, then when something bad happens to you, you are going to go to one of two places, which is this is all your fault, or wow, this is all my fault. I'm so horrible. I deserve this. And that's actually the one I want to sit on because that is so untrue. And it's so dangerous. It's such a dangerous way to think. It's such a dangerous way to to beat yourself up, to cause yourself to go to a dark place that God is not trying to push you towards. We oftentimes don't get to happening. Sometimes when suffering comes in your life and it seems like it is caused by unfortunate circumstances, it's not caused because you did wrong, it's not caused because someone else did wrong and it's punishment for them, it's unclear. When that comes, the questions follow and the questions are okay. I want to encourage you, ask the questions, talk to people about it. But don't buy the lie, you somehow deserve this. 
don't buy the lie that because you're such a terrible person, God is now punishing you and he hates you and he's distant from you and this is his wrath being poured out on you. If you've done wrong, that might be true. But when a loved one passes away suddenly, I don't think so. When uh, you have a friend that you, for no reason, I don't think so. I think actually in that situation, just to give you some perspective, usually it's more likely something happening in their life than yours. But when you face the struggle and when you face the hardship, the first place that we often look is to beat ourselves up, and I actually think that's a tool of the enemy and not of God. We have a father that promises to forgive us, that he promises much love to us and care. And I think it's important to think of when we face suffering to run towards our God, to seek his love, to seek his comfort, and not think of him as, my God is now angry with me and punishing me. If that's the first place that we go, when we face <laughs> undue suffering, to use that word, to, when we face suffering that was not because we have specifically done wrong, that's actually running away from what we want. The other thing to take so far, don't, don't be that friend that thinks that they have all the answers all the time and that you can fix all your friends' problems and usually it's because your friends are so bad. Don't be that friend. It's a very low bar, but it comes out in a lot of ways. Right? I, again, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but this is a really important life lesson to learn that as you grow older, that can help you love people well. We just talked this weekend about Connect, Grow, Go. If you want to go to, oftentimes you're going to go towards someone that will deal with hurt or is dealing with hurt and pain in their life. You don't need to be the person to answer every single question. You especially don't need the person to answer the questions that they're not asking. Actually, think about that for a second. Because usually, when there's awkward silence, we feel the need to fill it. Don't be the person trying to answer those questions that they aren't asking. If you've got a friend that's hurting, try to remember it. You can just listen and be there. And Job's friends actually, to give them credit, they actually spent one week with Job mourning with him. It says when they showed up in chapter 2 that they actually mourned with him for a week. They tore their clothes, which is a sign of, of mourning, a sign of great pain, and they saw their friend hurting, and they mourned with him. So for a week, they did the good thing. Be like them for that week. But then eventually, they went in here for a week. We loved our friend. We mourned with him. Now let's fix this. Don't go there. That doesn't need to be your place. You don't need to be the one to answer every question to fix them. You need to be loving and patient we have a God that is the comforter. We have a God that says that he forgives and heals and repairs. You don't need to be the friend to fix everything. We have three. It gets better after this. But I want to leave you just with a couple of questions as you go to group. They're similar to the ones that you've had uh, past couple of weeks, but it's a good way to close. Having studied these friends, having studied Job for a while now, how or what do you think about suffering? Think about what causes suffering. How do you process suffering in your own life? Just how or what do you think about it? And then second, really be practical. How can you be a friend in suffering when you're a friend in that moment? Uh, really ponder and think about that. I'm going to close this in prayer.
Job's a hard book. I get it. It's, it's a lot. Uh, but let's, let's practice. Let's practice love and patience. We'll close in worship, and then you guys can head to group. God, I, I pray for sin of Zophar that we learn it as a, as a cautionary tale, that we practice love in a better way, uh, that we also remember the truth that, that you love, that you forgive, that your judgment is not always immediate, that you're long-suffering, God. So whether that's suffering in our own lives, whether that's suffering in a friend's life, I just pray that we would understand that the goal is to run to you, that we know that you bring healing, that you bring. We don't have to rely on that on ourselves, God. God, you love us and you care for us. I hope that that truth is just echoed in our minds and in our hearts uh, when we face these trials, God. Pray these things in your name. Amen.